I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, we're going to hear a variety of insights from Overdrive's own equipment editor, Jason Cannon. Folks at the SiriusXM Road Dog Live show, hosted by Casey Phillips, were kind enough to share Casey's interview with us to include in the series. It's a fascinating discussion of Cannon's attendance out west at the unveiling of the Tesla Semi. For those who haven't seen Cannon's reporting from the event, search the Tesla name at overdriveonline.com for news from the unveiling. You'll also find there Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine's discussion of some of the costs associated with the Tesla truck when compared to a current diesel. And much of the unknowns that are still extant at this point, KC and Cannon get into a lot of that too here in the conversation. KC starts out here with a question by way of an introduction to the Overdrive Editor. Take a listen. I know that there's been a lot of things going on, but before we get into it, um, I want to know how you got into writing. Are you, are you, do you come from the journalistic side of it, or do you come from the trucking side of the industry? I started off in newspapers, so I come from the journalism side. I had to kind of figure my way through all the trucking stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, because, you know, whenever it comes down to uh, the love of trucking, and I don't know if this was your experience, I came from advertising. So I, it, it was a situation where I was in ad sales, and I got into trucking advertising sales, and as soon as I started getting my hands on the equipment and started seeing what these pieces of equipment could do, man, I really developed a love for trucks. And is that similar to how you have come to be where you are today? Absolutely. Um, I spent about 10 years working in newspapers, doing newspaper things, city council meetings, basketball games, football games, all that type of stuff. Uh, about five years ago, I got into this and can't believe I ever did anything else. I love it. Um, you know, there's no better group of people to be affiliated with and truck drivers are a lot of fun. Um, you know, it, the, the, they're a real good audience to, to, to talk to and, and write stories for. You know, I, I really enjoy my job. And, you know, a lot of what happens in this industry is what makes it fun. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, it's uh, something that it does get in your veins. And uh, you hear truckers talk a lot about having diesel in their veins. And I think that there's a real battle that's raging in, against diesel. And uh, that's why I'm grateful for you coming on today, because you were invited to uh, visit Tesla. And uh, I think that's uh, pretty interesting. But I'm very, uh, I'm very intrigued at what could have been unveiled whenever you went there. Tell me a little bit about how you were invited to go there and what you learn when you were out there. Uh, well, the, the the invitation process for this event was a little unique compared to some of the others. Uh, you know, we have a fairly well-established relationship with the, the trucking OEMs that dates back, you know, years that they know us, we know them. And Anytime they've got a new product, they pick up the phone or fire off an email and says, hey, you know, we've got a new truck, we've got a new engine, you know, whatever it is, we'd like you to come take a look at it, you know, cover it for news, and, you know, we're happy to be there. Tesla is a little unique that uh, they don't exactly look at it that way. They're a, a lot more closed off, uh, hard to get information from. Um, I've been reaching out to Tesla probably since uh, July of last year when uh, Elon Musk had published that on his blog post that the company was working on a semi. And uh, phone calls unreturned, emails unreturned. It was basically like I didn't exist. And then as the the launch dates kept kind of getting thrown out, I kept sending emails and I and I kept reaching out, trying to establish some form of contact. And then sure. 
Um, I guess probably about May or June when he had mentioned that he was he was shooting for August for a debut date. Uh, they they finally called me back and wanted to learn a little bit about overdrive and CCJ. I uh, wanted to learn a little bit about me, and um, and I kind of I, I tried to give them sort of a crash course in the trucking industry. I know that um, from their perspective, they're used to dealing with the, the car guys, and, and, and they do a lot with the, the technology media, too. And, and, I, and I tried to tell them that this is a completely different planet. That, sure. You know, guys that are looking to buy a Model S or a Model 3 or a Model X and guys that are looking to buy a Semi are not looking for the same thing, that you're not going to wow a truck driver on your zero to 60 time. And, you know, yeah. we, we talked we, we talk through the importance of torque and, uh, you know, overall power and, and, and really the, the range. You know, I think they call it range anxiety, that it, all the numbers that you had seen prior to the launch were <laughs> anywhere between 250 to 500 miles. And the short side of that is you know, that that's almost unusable. Um, yeah. On the high side of that, you're you, on the high side of that. You're probably still a little bit short, but at least you're kind of working your way t- in the right direction. Um, you know, I think so the the range on most of their cars is in the 300 ish neighborhood, depending on how you use it. And uh, you know, we talked a lot about the differences between the auto and the trucking side, and and I, I felt like I learned a lot about them. I, I hope they learned a little bit about us. And ultimately, about a month or so later, we got the invite, and we're booking arrangements to uh, head out to Hawthorne, California. Crazy, crazy. So uh, when it comes down to it, you uh, head out to Hawthorne, and did you have the opportunity to meet Elon Musk himself? I did not. Uh, I did see him. Uh, we didn't get a lot of time with any of the Tesla officials, and then we were told up front that nobody there was quotable except Elon. <laughs> and the only and the only part that uh, the only speaking that he did was during the uh, presentation that they web streamed, and um, you may have seen bits and pieces of that. But, mm-hmm. but we did get some time with some designers and some engineers, and, and we were able to use anything that they said as background, and we could attribute it to Tesla in general. But uh, we really couldn't, you know, attribute it to you know John Smith, Tesla engineer. Um, and, and they were kind of limited in what they could tell us. Uh, we, we got very limited time in the truck. I did get to sit in it. I did get to touch it. But, um, you know, you ask a couple of questions about curb weight, uh, torque numbers, you know, things like that, and they couldn't give me that. Uh, hmm. The expectations was that when, when Elon got up to talk that he would deliver those figures, and, and for the most part, he didn't. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and obviously, whenever you're talking prototypes, uh, there are always uh, changes that are going to be coming down the pipeline. So uh, it's always easy to, uh, well, and this is in pricing, start high and, and, uh, you know, start giving discounts. If you start too low, it's a lot more difficult to raise that price. You know what I'm saying? So they probably want to get to a a position, if I were a betting man, where they get it as close to perfect as they could. And then if they can make even more weight savings or even more torque uh, improvements, it's a much easier to go in that direction than the other. Well, the, 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 the motors that they're using are Model 3 motors, so those torque numbers are already, already available, but you got to look at they each make their own torque, and there's four of them on the truck. So you know, you've got a motor that makes 307 foot-pounds of torque, and there's four of them. So, I mean, you, okay. we can do the math there, but... I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not an engineer by nature, so I don't know if that's 307 times four. Is there some sort of drag coefficient? Compounding. 
So I don't know if they all compound one on top of the other or if, you know, there's just 307 and maybe minus 10% for every other one you stack on top of it. I mean, I couldn't sit here and tell you exactly what the torque is. I guess the maximum amount of torque would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 pounds. I mean, if there's right. four motors and the maximum that they put out is about 300 pounds, you're looking at a, at a max torque of 1,200 pounds. Yeah, which would probably fall down a little short. I mean, I I think, what, 1,350 to... 1850 is kind of the normal range of torque. Sometimes you get into the 21 and 2250 and some of your bigger bore uh, diesels, but that may just come up a little short. Um, yeah, hanging out with Jason put, Cannon of CCJ. Uh, Jason, you, your response, please. It, that, that would probably put them in the in the 11 liter ish range. You know, somewhere okay. around 1200 pounds. So, um, it, you know, depending on spec and what all you've got going on, but 1200 pounds would be somewhere in a in, in around an 11 liter. So you would be talking about something that was more uh, fleet-geared, uh, and I guess it would have to be for uh, over-the-road fleets, not always maxing out at 42.5 in a box. You'd be wanting to talk about something that's a little less. Maybe right. a day cab application, something like that? Right. Well, and both the trucks they had on display, those they were both... Um, they were day cabs, so you got to if it, if if their torque figure is about twelve hundred, that's about what you get out of an MX eleven. Mm-hmm. And if it's in a, if it's in a day cab, then your curb weight's going to come down a little bit. Both of the trucks that they did have, they were both day cabs. They kept referencing a sleeper, but there was not a sleeper there. Gotcha, gotcha. Jason Cannons with CCJ. He's hanging out talking about his recent visit to Tesla and uh, meeting the folks that are promoting the electric semi-truck. And uh, I think it's really interesting how uh, they talk about putting four engines into uh, a chassis configuration. What was the footprint of that bad boy? Uh, how, how much room do four engines take up? How are they arranged on the chassis? Well, they're kind of on the axle, so you you can't really see them unless you're looking. You know, if if the, if there's not a trailer on, you're looking down where the mm-hmm. gearbox would be, uh, right underneath the fifth wheel. You can kind of see them, um, but I mean, they're the as far as the footprint goes. If you're looking at it, if it was sitting in the parking lot, you'd never notice it. You've really got to kind of start manipulating your way around the truck. You know, looking under some things to find them. Okay. And so you're talking about a 102 wide type of configuration to meet the current standards uh, for a semi-truck. I'm, I'm believing so. We, we don't have any of those. Uh, we, we didn't get any of those kind of specifications. So I couldn't tell you any of the length. I couldn't tell you the wheelbase. I can tell you that, that it looked fairly conventional from um, from standing in front of it and from the side of it. But you, a lot of the questions that I feel like you and your callers are probably going to ask me later, I've already asked and I was shot down in most cases. <laughs> They'll ask the questions, Jason. You don't get to ask any questions. You know, the, the close the close mouth approach, I think, a lot of times, especially in our world, and you know truckers as well as I do, they, they need to know before they can make any kind of decision, they want to know very specifically specifically what this is going to be all about. So I wonder what Tesla thinks their target market might be whenever they're looking at these types of pieces of equipment. And it may not even be that it's in the States. It might be that you're talking about a European market launch before you would uh, be looking at a North American market. Did they mention any of that type of information? Not, not really. Um, you know, 
I think you can you can follow the footprint of some of their cars, you know, where they try to market their cars. I do think that, that this is that they feel that this is viable in the US. Um, there's already been some fleets that have signed on. You've probably seen JB Hunt has ordered some, Walmart has ordered some. Um, it's interesting to note though that uh, at the event the deposit was five thousand dollars per tractor and about three days later that went up to twenty thousand dollars. Mm. Okay. That means there's interest. Yeah, it, it means there's interest, and I guess maybe interest outweighs production capability, so that the the deposit gets moved up a little bit to kind of filter out the people who can wait. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at in on the lower side of the range. I think they said 300 miles was 150 thousand dollars. If you wanted the the maximum range, it was 180 thousand dollars for the tractor. And then if you wanted the Founder Series, which guarantees you get you get one of the first thousand units built, that's two hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, we're hmm. we're talking about a lot of money here. Well, you're talking about uh, two probably playing on uh, the boys and their toys idea that uh, they are riding the wave of uh, the next big thing, right? Oh, I want to be the, I want to be the one of the first one thousand owners, and you know, there's a lot of guys in trucking with a lot of money that would like to have one of those toys in their collection. You know. Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's a cool looking truck. I mean, you know, it's 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 completely non traditional. So, you know, you've kind of got to get over the aesthetic of it. I mean, it's the I, I, they were we were making a lot of comparisons there when we actually got to see it. That you know, some people said it looks like a stormtrooper helmet. Uh, I thought it kind of looked like a welder's <laughs> mask. But, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 unique, and you're right. I mean, you've got to kind of want to be that guy on the block that has the cool thing. I mean, you, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would debate whether or not it's cool. I happen to think that it is. It's very cool. It's got a very distinct look. You know, the practicality of it, I don't know. But um, it, as far as distinct, when that thing comes rolling at you, you know exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, just like the Tesla automobile. I mean, you know it when you see it. And uh, it's uh, very interesting to think that so quickly uh, we could have uh, electric trucks rolling up and down the roadway. So uh, we're going to have to take a quick break. But, Jason, uh, hang around with us. I'd love to get some more information from you. If you guys have any questions for Jason and you want to chime in, I'd love to have you on the show. 888-876-2336 is the number. We're talking about electric semi-trucks. Do you think they'll work? I'm not sure if uh, I feel feel it just yet but as jason said if you want to compare it to an 11 liter yeah the the torque and the horsepower that may be attainable but what about the range and what range would a typical day cab need in our regional type of hauls so lots to talk about with it again 888-876-2336 if you want to get in jason will be here for the rest of the hour so make sure you get in now Welcome back into Road Dog Live. Casey hanging out with you, as well as Jason Cannon, equipment editor of CCJ and a slew of other publications as well. He's with Randall Riley, and uh, very grateful for you, Jason. Thanks for coming on today and talking about your experience. Well, when it comes down to some questions, they are starting to roll in now. Uh, keep those calls coming in if you have a question for Jason. Uh, I've been taking a look at the interior. You said you sat in uh, the day cab. Um, so it seems like it's a single pilot seat in, in the middle. Is that the same configuration that you were in? Yeah, that's, that's right. The, um, the, the, the driver's seat is center mounted. There is a passenger seat, but it's mounted to the rear wall on the right-hand side. So it's, it's on the normal side of the truck, but it's you know, a good couple of feet behind the driver. Okay. And uh, what about the visibility? Obviously, being uh, most important, I think, in trucking when the driver is running down the roadway. Is that center mounted seat, does that improve your visibility? You know, 
That's a funny question, and, and that, that was something that I tried to look at when I was sitting there. The, the, a normal truck sits up so high already. I've never really had a problem with visibility to begin with. Um, there, there are no the pillars are gone. I don't know if you've noticed the wraparound style of the windshield, and it goes yep. right into the side. Window. So that is a visibility improvement because you don't have to look through that pillar. But as far as your position on the highway due to the seat, uh, you know, I think that's a push. I mean, I don't, I don't really think that really added any sort of uh, visibility advantage. Uh, an interesting thing that I felt like that it did do is it created a disadvantage on the driver's side. If you want to look down, you know, you're, you're driving down the highway, you want to get over to the right, or excuse me, you want to get over to the left, you kind of peek down to see if there's a car on your stairs. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you, you, you can't do that now. You know, you're a good 18 inches away from the window. You can't just lean out and look. And there's a camera that's been added to give you some visibility into that. But previously, that wasn't a blind spot, and it is now. Gotcha, gotcha. We'll talk more about the uh, the cameras that are being used. Uh, it, the technology has been relied on more heavily. Uh, this is something, obviously, that started in the light-duty automotive markets. But now you hear that the mirrors are going to start going away on a lot of these trucks. Uh, do they utilize that technology for the visibility on the truck? The, the truck that I was in, I keep in mind it wasn't moving, but the truck that I was in did have mirrors mounted to it. It had, you know, traditional um, truck-mounted mirrors. So, you know, I couldn't speak to those going away. I, I know there is some sentiment to, to try and make those go away. And I would imagine Tesla to push that because you, they're, they're an aerodynamic drag. I mean, I think I've heard people tell me that it's, that it's fractional, but it's a drag. So you look at the aerodynamics on this truck, they're going to want to eliminate every possible aerodynamic drag that they can. And, and certainly sure. mirrors would be low-hanging fruit once the, the government signs off on uh, allowing people to use uh, cameras as a mirror. And, and, and while we're on that subject, I actually drove International Super Truck, uh, which didn't have mirrors on it. It used a camera system. And, and I've debated this with uh, drivers you know, about for the last year because it's been about a year since I've driven it. That they they don't think that's practical. It's unsafe. It creates a bunch of blind spots. And I drove it for you know a couple hundred miles, and I actually kind of liked it. Uh, it was uh, it is kind of a challenge to back it because you lose that depth perception because now you're sure. looking at a computer you're looking at a computer screen and it's a 2D image where in the mirror you've got more of a sort of a 3D image but it, it is doable you kind of have to figure out a different way to figure a different way to do it but it's uh, it, it is doable um, and I actually do like it because you know, we you think about a mirror. You're limited on mirrors. You can only put mirrors in places where you can see them, right? Right. You can put, you can put cameras anywhere you want as long because the the, the, the monitor is not going to move. So I could put a monitor at the top of my trailer at the very back. I'll never be able to see it, but it's going to feed the data to the screen that's right in front of me. You know, yeah. I could never put a mirror. I could never put a mirror up there because I'd never be able to see it. But you know, now that I think that's been simplified, I do like where that is going. I, I know there's there's a lot of people afraid of that technology. You know, what do you do sure. if you lose power and you don't have a mirror? But you know, and I can understand some of that. You know, you do kind of want some sort of fail safe there. But I, I do like the direction that's going. Jason Cannon is hanging out with us talking a little bit about Tesla's new truck. And uh, I, I do know from the mirror standpoint, uh, I was with a friend and he had one of the new Infiniti Q something. It's a big uh, SUV. When he's backing, the uh, display shows a 3D image uh, from above. It actually shows you all the objects around the vehicle and the positioning that your vehicle uh, is uh, in 
in space. And it's crazy because it, I could see that being something that would be very valuable to trucks, especially when they're backing into docks or between trailers or whatnot, because you would know exactly where your trailer was positioned. I just don't think from the cost standpoint that it's uh, a... Uh, an effective uh, expense because all of these technologies are going to keep driving the rate per mile uh, for maintenance and equipment up. And I, I think that uh, when it comes to spending this type of dollar, folks aren't going to want to spend all that money on those types of systems. Yeah, and I would agree with you to a certain extent. And, and I raised this issue um, in, in a column that I wrote a, a year or so ago, and we were talking about automatic emergency brakes that I didn't feel like that was a, an expense that most fleets would be willing to embrace. I mean, it's just it's a computer that, that, that in certain instances can stop your truck unexpectedly. Now, it's doing that to save you, but you, you may or may not know that it's about to happen. And sure. you know, my argument was I just I, I felt like that was an expensive add-on. And then the rebuttal was, you know, front-end collision costs you thirty grand in body work, downtime, and then insurance claims and lawsuits. So the having that installed actually is ten percent of what your downtime, the lawsuit, and everything else can cost. So I guess it really depends on how you look at it. Yeah, but there you, you go. Got, if you're prone to smacking the dock, you know that camera keeps you from smacking the dock. It pays for itself the first couple times you back up. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess it's a glass half empty, glass half full kind of thing, right? It just depends. So let's go to uh, the phones and grab a quick question for you. Let's go to Dennis in Tennessee. Hey, Dennis, what's going on, brother? Hey, how you doing, sir? Good, man. You're on live with Jason Cannon. Hey, um, yeah, I got a question about these uh, these Teslas. Um, let's just say I wanted to get the sleeper. And I wanted to spend the extra money to get the larger range. I'm kind of curious. Now, I'm pretty sure they showed this in the video. I haven't watched it. But how long would it take to recharge the battery? I mean, is it going to be just a couple hours? Or is it going to be a 10-hour break? Or is it going to be like a 12-hour thing? You know, it was like, what are we going to do as far as the scheduling? And also, how long do these batteries last? Because any battery is like planned obsolescence. You're going to end up having to replace it, and how much would that cost? Well, on the on the recharge side, the Tesla has a station. They they look kind of like a gas pump, and, and they're called superchargers. And the cars pull up to them. You plug the car in, and it can get um, a couple of hundred miles of range in about twenty to thirty minutes. The on for the truck side, he Elon Musk said they're going to develop a network of what they call mega chargers. And that would dump about 300 miles of range into that truck in about 30 minutes. So, okay. and about the time you grab a sandwich and get something to drink, um, you, you know, take your 30 minute break while you're juicing up your truck, you've got 300 extra miles. And, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for that, but I, I was kind of amazed at how quickly the the mega charger network that does not exist, by the way, not it doesn't exist yet. Um, it could provide that much range. I mean, if you if you had one of the lower end ranges, it would fill your truck up in 30 minutes. If you get the 500 max, you know, assuming you don't pull in almost empty, you could probably fill it back up or close to full in about 30 minutes. So that, I, I thought that was pretty good. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. I, I was kind of with what what Dennison said is I was thinking, you know, you got to plug this thing up overnight. I don't know how that's sure. going to work. 
but um, you know, thirty minutes to put you know seventy percent of your range back in your back in the truck. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, as as far as how the battery life, uh, he didn't speak to the battery life. He did offer a uh, I don't know if it was a formal or an informal, but he did actually say it. He did guarantee that you would have no breakdowns in uh, for your first million miles. I would consider your battery going down on you uh, part of the breakdown. So it, it, as far as I'm concerned, that was a guarantee from Tesla to say that your batteries will last a million miles or more. Yeah, lots of questions still hanging out there, but some really good promises uh, that you're starting to hear already coming out of the block. So very interesting to see where this thing goes. Jason, hold on with us. We're hanging out, uh, talking a little bit about Tesla's new truck. Jason Cannon is equipment editor for CCJ, and he was at the unveiling, and uh, he's letting us know how that went down. If you have a question for him, 888-876-2336 is the number to get in. We'll be back on SiriusXM. You're listening to Road Dog Trucking Radio. Road Dog Live with host KC Phillips. Hey, welcome back into Road Dog Live. We are cruising into the end of the first hour. We got just a few minutes left. Jason, thank you for hanging out. I have so many questions. Uh, obviously, uh, you mentioned the aerodynamics. Uh, was there an integral trailer with the cab, or was it just the cab? When I was sitting in it, it was just the cab. When they pulled them out for the announcement, they had attached a trailer to both. Um, and it was, uh, I think Wabash had actually built them both, and I think they were purpose-built. Uh, they were okay. certainly not production model trailers. Gotcha. But uh, they were reducing trailer gap so that you didn't have to worry about the aerodynamics between the, the cab and the, the trailer. Yeah, he did mention a function of the truck that I never really fully understood, and I wasn't able to ask anybody about. But um, he said that there's there's basically a pneumatic, I guess it's pneumatic, it could be electric, um, gap sensor there that the, the, the fairing toward the rear will expand to close the gap when it needs to close it, and it will contract huh. when it needs to contract it. Um, at the end of the event, we were able to get down there and kind of look on it, look at it, and, and I got it between the trailer and the, uh, and, and, the, and the cab, and I couldn't figure out how that would work. I didn't see any sort of actuators. Now, maybe that was a function that they're hoping to build in, and maybe that truck didn't have that function on it. Um, but he did say that was something, a capability they were going to offer. I don't know if it was actually working on that particular truck or not. I just, I didn't see how the thing would go back and forth. I didn't see a track. I didn't see any sort of actuators, right. any sort of arms that would, would push it and pull it. So, you know, it's that, that Tesla, man. It's magic. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's. <laughs> And it's a really innovative idea. I just, I didn't, I would like to understand how that would work. And, and I, I, I don't think it was working on that truck. I think it was more a comment that he made that we would have this ability and maybe they sure. don't have it right now. But that, that was an interesting takeaway. I thought that was a good idea. Gotcha. Let's grab uh, one more phone call on this. Tom in Indiana, you are live with Jason. What's going on, bro? Hey, how you doing? First off, let me apologize uh, if you hear a lot of noise. I'm driving through Indiana, and I'm sure you guys can understand how it can be. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> a lot of money going out and nothing ever getting fixed. Um, I had a couple of questions, kind of a, a, a three-part. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to all of the show, but um, I'm, I have, I'm having some concerns because the Tesla is probably going to be the next truck that I'm going to be buying. But um, mine is one of those things where I drive at night, 
and I like to have as much of my inside of my cab as dark as possible when I'm driving. So my concern would be with all the electronics and the newer electronics in there, plus cameras, availabilities, and all that stuff, what are we looking at for, uh, I mean, illumination inside the truck? Ambient light. Ways to drop that down, the ambient light. How do we drop that down? Is that part of the whole process? Is it automatic um, after certain times? What happens there? Yeah, I think it is automatic. It, it, there's there's sensors in there that kind of manipulate the, the the dimness and the brightness of it. And and a part of this discussion I probably should have mentioned earlier is it's part of this event. Uh, Tesla loaned me a Model S to drive for a couple of days, and and that was my first experience really with one of their cars. And I had it for a couple of days, probably drove it for a hundred or so miles, and really got a feel for how some of this technology works. And I did drive it at night and. The, the the instrument cluster is all digital. There are no gauges. There's no dials. The, there's a big, it's like a giant tablet mounted between the seats, and, and that's where all the 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 buttons are housed. If you want to manipulate the air conditioning, that's where it happens. If you want to slide the sunroof, that's where it happens. And when the sun goes down, all that ambient light does sort of subdue itself to where it's not so bright inside the cab. So hey, that is Jason, a concern, but I, I think they, they kind of have taken that into account. Could, could you hang off for one more segment, my friend? Yeah, man, whatever you need. Okay, great. We're going to go ahead and uh, jump out of the way for the end of the hour break. Jason's going to hang on. Tom, I know you got more questions as well, and I got my own. So, hour two coming up on Road Dog Live. Now, back to the conversation on Road Dog Trucking Radio's Road Dog Live with host K.C. Phillips. You know what they say when you get a good thing, grab on with both hands and hang on for dear life. We got Jason Cannon with us, and uh, he's hanging out for just a bit. Uh, we're going to extend that stay uh, at no additional cost at that. Jason, thanks for hanging out with us. Tom uh, said he had three questions, and so let's go ahead and bring Tom back in as well. Tom, um, I yes, hope sir. that answered your first question. Uh, what else you got for us, buddy? Well, there's uh, kind of a two-part thing. It's a, a kind of a safety thing. Now, I understand that these trucks are built with the steering column and the steering wheel in the center. Now, right. uh, as a safety feature or as, as, as a feature, you, everybody that drives knows that if you're in the center, that kind of throws off your whole perception of the road, especially as you were saying earlier about, you know, your left lane and, and, and your zipper. And you can't tell how close you really are to the zipper because you're not in the same position. I'm kind of wondering how, how does a human being get used to that type of thing, except going out there on the open road, which is a little dangerous to start out with for something you know new like that. And then it also has, I'm assuming, all the bells and whistles, which means it would have one of those collision sensors, I would I guess. And yeah. we all know that anybody that has those knows those things malfunction continuously. So you're looking at the possibility of brake slamming and, and things of that nature. I'm wondering, have they been able to figure out uh, how to get rid of those bugs? And are the trucks available with left side steering uh, uh, available to them? Yeah, I'm, the answer to the steering position question is no. That's that's going to be a center steer truck. You, you do raise a valid point that you kind of have to learn how to drive it. And I think I mentioned that earlier in that um, it's going to require some re-education on how to drive. And then that's, that's a lot of it. 
Um, it, it, it has what Tesla calls autopilot. I think it, it, I would say it's fairly comparable to what you would find on Bendix Wingman and some of the Wabco and Detroit products that it's got lane centering, um, lane departure warning. There, there's a lot of assist features on this truck that will kind of help you keep that truck in the, in, in the lane. I understand what you're saying that, you know, those things do tend to malfunction. I, I don't know that they've got them any more perfected than anybody else. Um, I actually did use the uh, the autopilot feature on the on the Model S that they loaned me, um, and it it and it worked amazingly well. I mean that that feature is oh, designed to kind of be I hate to say autonomous driving because if you if you take your hands off the wheel, the car gives you a warning and tells you to put your hands back on the wheel. But, uh, <laughs> it it kind of takes away from the whole aspect of 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 being a driver. I mean, I understand it's it's an availability. You can use it if you want or or not use it, but doesn't that, uh, in, a, in a sense, take away from the whole human aspect of doing this job? I mean, for guys like me, you know, 25 years of doing this, this is, uh, I do this with a passion, which means, I, I, you know, I mean, physically and mentally, we do this because it's, it's become part of our nature. And to take that right. nature away from a driver is kind of, you know, iffy. Yeah, I think that technology is there to take some of the menial decision-making away from the driver. Um, I, I don't think it's there to replace the driver. I, I used it in heavy traffic. It, I, keep in mind, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, we went maybe, I don't know, 10 miles in about an hour and a half. So I turned it on just to see how it would accelerate and brake and and how it would center itself in the lane. And it, and it works really well. I mean, it was kind of remarkable that – we would go from a dead stop. The guy in front of me would punch it. My car would accelerate to meet to match that speed. As that guy start braking, the sensors kick in. It would stop my car to full stop. Anytime if the road started deviating to the left or the right, as long as there were lane markers visible and the car could pick them up, it would put me right back in the center of the lane. Uh, if I wanted to change lanes, I could. If I wanted to say go to my left, for example, I put on my left blinker. The sensors on that side of the car, and it includes the sensors mounted to the rear, they would wait until it until it could diagnose that there was a safe distance gap in that left-hand lane, and it would move me over, and it would center mm. me in that lane. So, you know, I don't think it's really there for you to kind of check out and say, you know, okay, I've got to go from Omaha, Nebraska, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, get me there and honk the horn when we're there. Yeah, uh, wake me up. I think it's, it's yeah, I think it's really more there to kind of help you say, I'm going to watch the, what these guys are doing around me, but I'm going to let the the computer, I'm going to let the system handle some of the menial braking, um, you know, the, the traffic fighting. You know, some of the stuff is just more of a pain sure. in the butt. But, you yeah. know, if you take your hand, and, and, and then that, that warning, I mean, that's a real warning. You know, I, I didn't realize that was there. So I'm kind of sitting there. My hands are underneath the steering wheel. I'm not actually touching the wheel, but I'm, I'm ready to take over if something goes wrong. And uh, there's uh, on the on the d- instrument cluster where the instrument cluster would be, uh, a warning comes on and it says, "Please place your hands on the steering wheel." So Tesla had told me that you'll get that warning two or three times, and then if you don't put your hands on the steering wheel, the autopilot feature will shut itself off, and they they kind of put you in autopilot timeout. That um, it, it will not allow you. To, it, it will not allow you to use the system because it's determined that you don't use it safely. Yeah, that is that's really crazy. And Tom, thank you, buddy, for your questions. I appreciate you. And uh, Jason, there's more questions starting to roll in. Uh, let's go ahead and grab some of those. I have a question about infrastructure on the charging stations. We'll get to in just a moment. String Bean is in Georgia. Next up, String Bean. Thanks for getting back in, Bo. What's up? 
Yeah, you bet. Hey, I was curious on the on the drive axles and stuff, the the motors on the drive axles and stuff. Are they uh, mounted to the frame or like mounted to the fifth wheel? The Nikola one, they're not. The fifth wheel is not mounted to the frame. It's mounted directly to the motors. So the the ride you'd get is just fantastic, supposedly. Um, I've not I've not driven the Nikola one tractor. I, fingers crossed, I get a crack at that early next year. Um, and and, and right. I actually, I did. I wasn't able to drive the the Tesla semi either. I, like I said, I was able to walk around it, look at it, and sit in it. So you know, I couldn't tell you anything about ride quality. Okay, because yeah, I was just curious because yeah, the uh, uh, yeah the, on the Nikola one, I know they say that the drive motors and uh, rear axles are directly to the fifth wheel plate, and it bypasses the the frame. And so uh, I mean, yeah, I can just imagine the ride there. But I was curious, and that. Uh, Stream Bean, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you getting in. I got another call that uh, I'm going to take. Let's go to Grumbles in California. Grumbles, you're live with Jason Cannon. Hello. Uh, I just wanted to preface saying uh, I'm in my 40s. I've been driving almost 30 years, and I'm not a tree hugger, but I am really excited about this idea because I'm just thinking, imagine a life without diesel fuel, EGRs, broken turbos, oil leaks, and all that crap. <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. Well, you know, there um, it's, it's going to come with their with its own maintenance cost. So it's not as if no, you're going to to be going maintenance free. But maybe Jason could answer that when, while we're talking. Well, no, I, I have another question, but there, sure, I wanted to talk. There, there's a place between LA and San Francisco that's a Tesla place, and the way they designed it was you were supposed to pull your car in, they swap your batteries, and you get back on the road. Just imagine a Tesla service center in every major city where you could roll in and they'd have a bank of batteries and they'd swap batteries and you're back on the road. Or they have charging stations where you can charge up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to take something like that. I, you know, I, the, the, the battery bank swapping stations, I, I have heard you know, about that or the potential for something like that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You, you've got to figure out how to get a truck. Uh, you've got to get its power back pretty quickly. And it's at least got to be as fast as you can fill it up with fuel. I mean, if it took you well, 20 hey. minutes to fill up, if you took 20 minutes to fill up with fuel, you're not going to be satisfied with three and a half hours to get electricity back in your electric truck. Right, I understand. And I, and I think they've been mega, using this technology for years in the mines. They use them in those giant, giant dump trucks. But they run right. a diesel motor to power them. But if, you know, we're talking about batteries, and if they have their own trailer, you could have solar panels on the trailer. Um, there's all kinds of options. But my, I wanted to get to my question real quick because I know other people are waiting. But what about the suspension? Did you look at the suspension? Was, is it spring ride? Is it, are they going to have an air system on it to use with other trailers or airbags or or any of that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, we didn't get any color on the suspension. I'm assuming that it's an air suspension. I, I did. You could see some of the airlines in there. And I'm assuming that's what they fed. But you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures of the inside of the cab where where you got a good look at the through the windshield of the steering wheel. There's not any air brake buttons on the dash. Right. So, um, I asked the question, where are the air brakes? And the the answer I got was the we assume they'll be integrated into the into the left side screen. I mean, you've seen there's a screen to the right and there's a screen to the left. And uh, you know, I I don't th- I don't think that's legal as it sits now. They're, they're sure. supposed to be 
they're supposed to be shaped the way they're shaped and they're supposed to be the color that they are. I mean, that's, you know, Freightliner, Peterbilt, all those guys, they don't do that for fun. They do that because that's a regulation. Yeah, so because be, when you perform your air brake test, the, the knob has to pop out whenever it gets to, to what, 60 PSI? Or, or is it 30 uh, PSI, something like that? Well, if it gets, it'll pop when it gets below 20. So 20, you know, okay. That To me, that there's little things like that, and, and I've talked with several people about this, and I, and I want to make it clear, this is a prototype truck. I, I'm sure the, the, the truck that they produce is not going to be exactly like this. It's going to have to have some sort of air brake button in there somewhere, uh, assuming that it has air brakes on it. But, you know, it's it, there, there are some things that are going to have to change with it. But on the suspension question, I'm assuming that it is air. There you go. Uh, Joe in St. Louis, you are on live with Jason Cannon. Hello, 200-mile marker. He's found an I-70, and uh, don't go out and see the supermoon tonight. The clouds aren't going to hide it. One thing I haven't heard anybody ask, you pull into one of these 20-minute charging stations, how much? Um, he guaranteed $0.07 cents, uh, per kilowatt hour. Uh, a lot of these these mega chargers, he said, are going to include um, solar panels. That's how they'll get a lot of their juice. Um, but I knew the, I know that a lot of their supercharger stations, the ones they use for the car, depending on what model year your car is, uh, you can charge it as Tesla supercharger for free. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we're, we're all going to have to get re-educated into what a kilowatt hour is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing, Joe. <laughs> I don't know if that was twenty five dollars or a hundred dollars. That's a complicated, complicated math algorithm. But um, it's you know, and I'm not smart enough to sit here and, and and tell you how to figure it all out. But I can tell you that if, if this electric electrification of trucking takes off. Um, we're not going. You're not going to hear a whole lot about miles per gallon or miles per gallon equivalent. I know the natural gas guys talk a lot about miles per gallon equivalent. Uh, that, that's going to go away, and it's going to be replaced with kilowatt hour ranges, and it'll be so mm-hmm. many miles per kilowatt hour. Joe, thank you, buddy. Good point. Good question. Uh, obviously, well, Jason, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was uh, the the timeline on the infrastructure. If there are going to be these types of stations, if the if they could, and it's a big if, if they could perfect the the prototype, make it something that's affordable. Obviously, they're asking for people to put their deposits down now and making a lot of promises. We're not sure how the production on those uh, promises will be made, but uh, obviously they. They have a name. They have uh, a lot of, mo- uh, I guess, momentum going into this with the the next big thing in trucking. Um, what about the timeline on the infrastructure to make the electric truck a reality? You know, um, it's it's just going to depend on how you can refill the thing. I mean, the, the you can install terminals at. at, at uh, at, your, at your place. Like, if you're a fleet, you can have ever how many terminal, terminals you need. Uh, when I had that Model S, the, I was staying in a Hampton Inn in Hawthorne, uh, and they had, I think, three uh, Tesla chargers in the parking deck, and then there were three or four different branded. So that's something else I didn't realize is there are other, there are other players in this space. But um, there were three Tesla branded chargers. I actually plugged up the car one night just to see, you know, how the thing worked and, and how fast it would put the range back into the car and you know, just to kind of play with that aspect of it. Um, so obviously California is kind of on the leading edge. That's where he's based, and that's where you see most of these cars. Uh, 
but the, the the supercharger network, I mean, it went from zero stations in around, I think they started working on it about 2012, and they're up to globally around 1,100 or so stations over the last five years or so. So, okay. I mean, he can, he knows how to initiate a rollout. I mean, are you going to be able to drive your truck from Arkansas to Wyoming? In the next three or four years, probably not. But can you drive it from North California to South, Southern California? Yeah, I would. I would say so. Well, uh, the concerns that I have are the the more money that goes into the equipment, the less that goes into the driver's pocket. And so uh, there really are a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to how are we going to be able to really justify these types of expenses uh, unless there's a considerable gain, uh, well, I guess just a considerable reduction in the cost per mile. If they can make a piece of equipment that's uh, less to operate and better economy when it comes to fueling, uh, more aerodynamics, uh, maybe the ability to haul more payload based on the weight, uh, the, the tear weight of the tractor, uh, then I, I could see that we could maybe come up with some way where it works for everybody but my fear is, Jason, that it's just going to be another situation like so many other things. More technology means a harder time for the hardworking men and women of the industry to take a pay raise. And that's what we would like to see. Uh, it's just it's more tech. You know, it's the newest, latest and greatest thing. And I, I guess I have fear around that. Well, the, the, the figures Tesla gave us at the presentation was a cost per mile comparison of $1.26 for the Tesla Semi versus $1.51. And I realize everybody's cost per mile is not universal. So yeah. I guess that his $1.51 is probably an average of whatever segments he feels like the Tesla Semi is going to be a player in. But sure. he feels like the Tesla Semi is at least going to be say 25 cents per mile more in your pocket Mm, okay well i you know obviously those are california numbers i would contest it we were sitting at the fleet i worked with we were around 117 uh per mile and so you know that seems a fair piece north of that but uh for every different region it's going to be different so oh boy interesting stuff Mm. It's an interesting time to be in it. I mean, I think one of the best things that can come from all this is is Tesla's involvement. Um, If for nothing else, he gets a lot of attention. Uh, He's a smart guy. He knows how to work the crowd. Um, And like I'm telling you, that that truck reveal was like nothing I've ever been to. It it was more of a a rock concert than it was a a truck (laughs) unveiling. Uh, yeah. Apparently, if you buy so many of these cars, you get VIP access to everything that he does. And there were seven or eight trucking journalists there. There were some guys there from Rolling Stone. There were guys from Fox News. And then the, the balance of the people in that room were actually, we were, in an air, we were in an airplane hangar. The balance of people in that hangar were Tesla owners. And when he walked out on stage, they lost their mind. I mean, it, it was like Mick Jagger had just walked in. It was unreal. <laughs> Crazy stuff, man.